today, and it's going to take, go through the rest of the summer, uh, and uh, we finished on the life of Joseph last week, earning success. Did y'all enjoy that? That was, that was really good material, really good uh, inspiration there. And this morning, we're going to start a series called Running with the Giants, Running with the Giants, and uh, before we get, we dive into this series, I want to take a few minutes to give you kind of the biblical uh, context, the biblical history of where I'm coming from. The Apostle Paul, uh, who was just an incredibly pivotal figure in establishing the early church, you know, right after, after Jesus uh, left, you know, the book of Acts and talks about Paul going around doing all these mission trips, and Paul actually wrote, he wrote 13 13 of the books in the New Testament, a lot of the epistles and letters to the churches that, that he had started. And there's one analogy that Paul used to try to spur the Christian church on to grow. And he always used, he used this analogy four or five times. It was the analogy of running a race. The analogy of running a race. And he used it over and over again. And the thought was this, you know, to, to run a race to compete in a competition which was prevalent in those days, just as it is today. Um, you know, you have to have discipline. You have to have focus. You have to have endurance. You, you've got to have some determination to run and, and finish a race. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, in our Christian lives, we have to have these same ingredients because as we go, on our race through life and as we're following Christ, there's, there's obstacles, there's difficulties, there's things that pop up that we didn't think about. Has that ever happened to you? And anyway, some same things pop up, and man, I, would not, I was not expecting this, but it's okay, we're running the race with Christ in our life, with Him as the aim, with Him as the goal, and, uh, and so we got, we, got to, we got to keep going. And So let me read some of these to you to show you some of the places that Paul talk about this. 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So basically he says, you know, when you run, don't run just to finish. Hey, there's a lot of Christians who just want to finish and get to heaven. Well, what about doing something while we're on the race, right? What about doing something that impacts the lives of others. But, you know, don't just run. Run in such a way as to, as to get a prize, you know, to finish, uh, to finish well for yourself. When I was 30 years old, uh, kind of, it's kind of a bad decision, but when I was 30 years old, I guess I was having a midlife crisis early. And so I decided to run the Houston Marathon. And, and like, I'm not a runner, Bill, but I decided to run the Houston Marathon. And uh, when I finished, I did finish, but I don't know that I ran well, but I did finish. I thought, man, I just took five years off my life. When I'm 40, I have to think of something less strenuous to do, you know? But, but here we are, we're running, the, we're running the race. You know, there's thousands of people, thousands of people starting. And this one, this one cat, he came, he came dressed like Superman. He had a cape and the whole outfit and, and big shoes on. And I'm thinking, you know, this clown, there ain't no way he's going to finish. And he made it past mile one, and he made it past mile two, but uh, he didn't make it so far. Well, he, he wasn't dressed to run the race. He was dressed to get attention, right? So we don't run our race for attention. We run it with determination to fulfill God's potential 
in our lives. So if you're going to run the race, you might as well run it the best that you can. And then Galatians 5, 7 says this. This may make some sense to you. Paul told them, the church at Galatia, you were running a good race. You were doing good. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Have you ever been going through life and someone cuts in on you? You're out there in the parking lot. Just you're coming in. Someone cut in on me. No, but seriously, what happens is we're running the race and we're doing well, and life begins to cut in on us. And things that don't even matter take our focus off of God, take our energy off of God, take our eyes and our energy and our focus off the things that are really, really important. So Paul says, listen, you were doing really good. Why'd you quit? Why did you let the world cut in on you and cause you to get off track? And then, of course, 2 Timothy 4, 7. In 2 Timothy, Paul, he's about to die. He's writing from prison. And uh, this is what he says about himself. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, and now, our, our main scripture for this whole series is going to come from Hebrews 12.1. I just wanted to show you that this was an analogy, this running a race and pursuing God. Paul used a natural analogy in their world for the Christian, for the Christian church to, to keep pursuing God and keep, uh, you know, keep fighting forward. And now Hebrews, let me tell you this, the, the book of Hebrews, um, it's, not, it's one of the books of the Bible that we're not 100% sure on who wrote it because no one claimed authorship for it. You know, many times in the books, Paul will say, I, Paul, an apostle by faith, did this. Um, but many, many scholars believe, as well as I do, uh, that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, even though he didn't take credit for, for it. If you look at some of his other writings, um, there are similarities in what they said in, in, in phrases and analogies. And also many of the early church fathers ascribed Hebrews to Paul. But anyway, regardless, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And uh, so let's think about that. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the first thing it shows us is this, is that we have support and encouragement while we run our race. Many people are out there running their Christian lives and they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, and they don't attend church, so they're on their own. But the Bible, Paul says here in Hebrews 12:1, he says that we are, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who, who are the great cloud of witnesses? All of the men and women of the Christian faith, the giants of the faith, who have gone before us. That we, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and so... The thought here is this, is that, is that we have support and encouragement as we run a race. If you think about it, when it, usually whenever you run any type of race, you're doing something, there's people there are cheering for you. There's people that are cheering you, trying to encourage you. I mean, they don't want to run the race, but they want you to finish, right? They're sitting there encouraging you. So if you think about this, all the men and women uh, of the Christian faith, all the giants of the faith, the people that have gone before us, that they, they're cheering us on. And they want us to be successful. And, and basically they would say, man, we took Christianity from just the birth up to here. Now we need you to take it on. We need you to run further. We need you to keep moving forward. So we have support and encouragement in our race. The second thing is this, is that 
it takes perseverance to run the race effectively. And perseverance and endurance and determination and whatever you want to say. But here's the thing. When you run a race, there are some things that you should avoid and some things you should do. Right? I mean, when, when you're in activity, there are some things you should do and some things you should, you, you should not do. I remember there was this guy, his name was Paul Bragg. And he was kind of, uh, he has books out there, you could, you could read them. But his big deal, and I don't know, I don't think that he was a Christian, but his big deal was fasting. He got fasting from the Bible, and he's like, man, if you use fasting in your life to detox your body and things like that, you should easily leave, live to be 120 years old. And he died, he did not make 120, he died at 97. He was out surfing on the beaches in California, and a teenager surfboard hit him in the head. So, you know. Fasting only gets you so far. You've got to watch out for surfboards, you know what I'm saying? But 97 and surfing, that's probably a good way to go, right? And uh, so here's what he did. One time he went to a college football program, and he had a 25-mile a, a march across the desert, and he got five of their best athletes. And he said, I'm going to walk across the desert here, and I just want to challenge any of you if you want to, you know, if you want to race me or go with me. So he got about, he got 10 of them, I think. And he said, listen, I'm paying for all your supplies. Now, these are, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old guys. And he said that each one of them had a backpack. You can have anything you wanted. Man, these, these young athletes, they wanted Cokes and, and potato chips. And all the, they, they got all this stuff in their backpack. And, I mean, it's hot, 120 degrees. And, you know, he was fasting. He wanted to prove a thing. So he put distilled water in his backpack. And, you know, he went out, he went across. Three of, three of the guys made it. Uh, seven of them had to be life flighted out of there because they, you know, they, they passed out or whatever. And he went all the way across, and he waited for them to come. And he's like, hey, guys, tomorrow I'm going to start going back. You want to go with me? Well, here's the thought. He, even though he was 30 years older than them, he was putting the right things. He was putting the right things uh, in his body. So, the, so if we're going to run effectively in the Christian walk, there are some things you need to do, and there are some things you should not do. And we have to learn to divide those so we can run our race effectively. And the third, the third thing is this, is that our race is laid out for us by God. And uh, so God, you know, just as they lay out a golf course, they lay out the, the um, a map of the race, that we have to understand this, that our course, my course, your course, it's already pre-established, pre-ordained by God, and, and it's dependent upon how God has designed you your, your, your design determines uh, your race. So this past few weeks, as I was meditating on Hebrews 12, 12 1, 1, you know, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I started to think about, I started to think about the great cloud of witnesses. All the men and women uh, who, who have gone uh, before us in the, Christian, the giants of the Christian faith, and, and I had a thought, you know, I had a thought. I want this to be a fun series, but I, th I had a thought about this. I wonder as we're running our race, if one of the giants of the faith, if a man or a woman who's gone before us, you know, the great ones, what if they came down and joined us for a mile or two in our race? I wonder what they would say to us to encourage us. What would they say? If they could come and run beside us, what, what, what would they say to us? How could, how could they encourage us? You know, what would they say to spur us on and um, so in the next few weeks, I'm just going to take some of the men and women of the Bible and, 
And uh, if they came and joined us on our race, pursuing God, pursuing our potential, you know, what, what would they say to us? So this morning we're going to start off with the first person. And the, the first person who's going to join us for a little while is a man, and, you know, we don't recognize him immediately, but he looks really, really old. He looks old, and he has a little bit of a limp to his, to his step, you know, and you're wondering, like, how's he going to run with me, you know? His skin is weathered, and, and that's all as it should be because the man is 950 years old. 950 years old. But the amazing thing, when this giant of the faith, when he comes beside us, he just gets right in step with us, and he's just running right with us, and he has incredible cardiovascular endurance because he can actually talk while he's running. Do any of you try to do that? Or any of you ever get on a treadmill and someone wants to come talk to you? You're like, man, get away. I'm in pain, man. I'm in pain. Does it bother you when people talk on a cell phone when they're on the treadmill? Hey, you show off. Go to the other gym, you know. Get out of here. You know, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. This hurts. And uh, so anyway, he's, he runs up to us. He's running stride for stride with us. And, which is incredible, uh, you know, he can talk while he runs, and he, he turns to us and says, you know, I want you to know that one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference, and, you know, he, uh, he continues, he says, I know this because God decided to destroy the earth with water, and he made a covenant with me so that humanity might not perish, in Genesis 8, 21, and so right away we know that Noah, Noah, the man who built the ark, who took 100 years of his life to build an ark to save his family, to save the animals, to repopulate the earth, uh, this one man, uh, we know this is who he's, who he's talking to. And the, the Bible tells us that, that Noah was righteous when righteousness was not popular. The Bible says that he was a righteous man in his generation. And so let, let's read a little bit about Noah. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about some ways that one person can make a difference as he runs with us for a little bit. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, it says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the, of the thoughts of human hearts was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe, wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. It, that's an amazing thing. So Noah, it says that basically the world had gotten to a place where every inclination of their thought was only on evil. And God was just, he was, he was embarrassed that he had, that the, that the people he had created had turned on him. And he looks down and he, he finds one person that's righteous. One person who is not living like the rest of culture, like the rest of society. One person and he takes that one person because it, he's righteous, he's blameless, and he uses him, uh, you know, to continue on the human race. So as we run with Noah, he, he shares encouraging words and tells us five ways that we can make a difference. First of all, 
Noah says that I want you to understand that one person can make a difference for their family. One person can make a difference for their family. And you have to understand that the reason Noah's family was saved was because of Noah. By living differently than the people of his day, Noah made a difference for his family. Basically, his family was saved from destruction because of the way that Noah lived. So Noah's righteousness, his obedience to God, it didn't just benefit him. It benefited his entire family. And from his family, uh, the, the whole world, uh, the whole earth was, was, was repopulated. So uh, Noah's his obedience to God, it didn't just benefit him, it saved his whole family. And basically Noah, he decided to be a difference maker, and he built an ark, and, 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 uh, as the Lord asked him to do, and it was, it, was, it was a family affair. The Bible records that Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they all built the ark together. And Noah built the ark for 100 years. Uh, very interesting today. You can, if you read, the, read the, the, the description in Genesis about the size of the ark and all that, I mean, it was a monstrous, monstrous thing. But, um, you know, uh, Ken Ham, who he runs the Creation Institute, they actually built a replica of this. Um, you know, it's actually in Kentucky. And it's just a monstrous thing. And a thousand people a day, a thousand people a day go, go, um, go look at that. So I encourage you to Google that so you can see the depth and the breadth of it's built exactly like biblical uh, dimensions. Genesis 7, 1, it says this, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. So those closest to you benefit when you do what's right. And I, I want to encourage you today. Uh, you know, obviously all of our kids are back there. We have some teenagers in here. But everyone here today, whether you're, you're, you're parents, many of you are parents, grandparents, you know, all, all kind of things like that. But I want you to understand that how you live, determines the outcome of your kids. And I, I, I was thinking about this this week because, you know, today, um, and it gets, it gets worse, it gets worse and worse, but, you know, it's just not, it's just not popular. It's just not popular to be a, a Bible-believing Christian. I mean, it's okay if, if, you, if, if you're Hindu or Buddhist or, or Muslim or whatever, but, man, if you're a Christian and and, and, and you believe the Bible, that the Bible outlines sin, the Bible is, is the moral authority. And the thing is, and I totally believe this, and we do this here at Family Life, even though I don't agree with the ways some people choose not to live by the Bible, they're, they're, you know, they're not Christians, they don't know the Lord, we still love them, but we have a standard for our lives. I mean, you know, I, I have people and friends I talk with all, of the, all the time that, they're not living the way that I believe you should live, but I'm still nice to them. I'm still help them. You know, if they have problems, I'll help them. But I remember this when I was thinking this week, you know, uh, when, when Tracy and I, when our kids were really small, and Tracy and I were, were raising them, you know, I, I just remember we wanted to raise kids who love God, kids who made a difference, and, and kids that weren't scared to be difference makers who weren't scared of facing public opinion or persecution. I, I didn't want them to be followers. I, I wanted them to stand up for what was right. And so what we did, which wasn't very popular, what that meant in our home is that 
In our home, a lot of things that happen in the majority of homes in America didn't happen in our home. In our home, we did not watch television shows that had profanity, that, that, that um, actually, how do I want to say this, that, um, that promoted lifestyles that were, not, that were not pleasing to God. We just didn't watch any of that stuff. You know, when you came in our home, you would never hear bad language. My, my kids never heard Tracy and I use any profanity. They never did that. We didn't do that. And you wouldn't hear our kids be saying mean things to each other. That, that was not allowed in our home. We didn't know. In, the, in, in our home, what we're going to try to do the best we can is what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I mean, that's what we want to produce in our family. This also meant that a lot of, uh, what a lot of the things that their friends did, my kids weren't going to be allowed to do. I mean, today parents just let their kids do anything they want, watch any shows they want. That's the craziest thing I've ever, I've ever heard of in my life. <clears throat> but a lot of times their friends were doing stuff, and I would say, no, we're not going to participate in that, and this is why. But what we also did, we just didn't tell them what they couldn't do. We also tried to show them that you can be a Christian and have fun. You know, it, you can be a Christian. You can live for God and have a good life and have friends and, and, and all the things that are very, very important in life. But we, we just, by our lifestyle, we tried to promote that. Um, you know, we made church a priority. We made helping people a priority. You know, and, and this isn't popular today either, but, you know, my kids didn't play sports on Sunday. My kids were an athlete. We're in athletics, and my kids were in select and all that stuff. But we, we, you know, Sundays, it's for God. It's, it's our one day, and I know it makes me all mad today. But there's a lot of people today that, you know, church and religious pursuit, not, I hate religious pursuit, spiritual pursuit is on the back burner, and everything else comes first. Sports comes before church. Sports comes before this. Hobbies come before this. You know, bam. and at some point, at some point, see what Noah did. Noah said, God is number one. The person that I'm serving is God. The person I care about obeying is God. I don't care what people say about me. My whole, one thing is I want to live for God. It says that his righteousness and his blamelessness caught the eye of God. When our righteousness and blamelessness and obedience to God catches the heart of God, uh, you know, he's going to use you to, to do incredible things. So Noah would say that, that one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference for their family. How Noah lived, extended to his families, his kids received the benefit and the covenant that came through their father, Noah. The second thing is this, is that one person can make a difference for God's creation. And through, the, through his life, Noah was able to save much of creation. You know, the Bible says that God brought animals two by two, and he filled up the ark. And I can't remember right now. I, I had this memorized at one point. But ba basically, there, there was like several million square feet in the ark because it was three levels. It was a football field and a half long. I mean, it's a monstrous thing. And uh, they've done, they've done, they've done uh, restructuring of how can we have the animals today? And they've shown how you could easily get one male and one female of each of these species to, to, you know, to carry 
to, you know, to carry him on. So all the animals came and, and uh, God brought them and they entered the ark so that when the ark finally landed on dry land, land I mean, God could have remade all the animals. He did it once. But those animals went out and, and repopulated uh, the earth. And, and uh, you know, the, the point, the point is, is this, is that each one of us can make the place where we live better. We can make the place where we live better, better than when we found it. And again, I'm not saying you have to be an over-the-top activist or a tree hugger or anything like that. But you know what? We are. We are supposed to be good stewards of the earth God has given us. We, I can get a better amen than that. Y'all don't believe that? Okay, all right, whatever. So, but Noah made a difference for, for the creation that God had made. Number three, uh, one person can make a difference for future generations. One person can make a difference for future uh, generations. There was an old man who was planting an apple orchard. Uh, this man was 80 years old. He was planting this apple orchard. And this young kid, this teenager, was watching him. And the man went out there, and he plowed land. He cultivated the land, and, and he, he, he went out there, and he got everything that was in the way, tilled up the soil. He planted all these saplings, little saplings, a whole orchard. And uh, then he meticulously planted them and took care of them. And he, he watered them, and he, he just took care of them. And so after a while, this teenager comes up to him and says, Man, you don't think that you're going to actually eat some of those apples, do you? And he said, No, but somebody will. Somebody will. We need to get to the place where we quit thinking about ourselves and start thinking about the future generation. You know, it's not just about what we have. It's what our kids have. It's what our grandparents have. It's what the church in 50 years have. It's the legacy that we, that we pass on to them. So your actions can help those behind you. And again, because, because of Noah, we can be assured today that God is never going to flood the earth totally. Totally. I mean, it says, that I believe that the mountains, in Noah's day, the mountains were underwater, I believe it was either 14 or 16 feet above the, the highest mountain. I mean, that's like total, total destruction. I mean, I was, last year when my house flooded, I was looking for a rainbow, I didn't see one. Apparently, apparently didn't work for my house. But anyway, I'm alive, okay? I'm alive, so that, that'd help us. But, uh, you know, so every time we see a rainbow in the sky, we remember God's promise and God's covenant to, to Noah. Uh, you know, I have several pet peeves. One thing that really bothers me is when people take something in the Bible that has spiritual significance and they use it to represent something that's not spiritual. Now, let's be clear, okay? Let's be clear. The rainbow is God's sign that he will never flood the earth again. It was never meant to represent a lifestyle that's an alternative lifestyle that's against God, okay? That's disobedience to God. Okay, and so, but anyway, the essence of the local church, let's think about this. The, so the, let, let's bring this home, let's make it practical. The essence of the local church, the essence of the church, the, Jesus started the church to make a difference for future generations. I mean, what if the early church fathers would not have given their lives starting churches all around the world, local community churches that could help, that could help disciple people and train people where would we be today? But it was starting with a great sacrifice. And I think sometimes today, sometimes today, it's not popular. We don't want to think about 
what can I do today? What can I sacrifice today? What, what can I help build today that I make a difference for future generations? But let's think about our church. Now, you know, there are some huge churches in town, mega churches with 50,000 people. We're not huge. We have about 450 members, okay? But think about this. Think, think about this for a minute. Or let, let me back up a little bit. I, I think, I just want you to know that church has never been about you just coming on Sunday. That's what we've made it. Jesus never, when he started the church, it, it was to get into the core of your being and, and, and for you to have total buy-in. It was never for you to feel good about yourself coming for one Sunday. Church, the goal, the reason church was started was with the purpose of influencing generation after generation after generation. That, that's the whole goal of the church, to influence future generations. So think about family life. Every week, let's break this down. Every week, we have about 100 kids that attend different things at Family Life, uh, from children's church, from children, no, from, from the, our nursery class all the way to our teenagers. We have about 100 kids, okay? And I want you to think about this. So every Sunday, every Sunday back there, man, the babies, the toddlers, they're getting Bible stories. Children's church are teaching the Bible. We have a youth group that meets every week, and, and they're teaching the Bible, and they're, and they're doing things. So every, but every week, think about this. These 100 kids in our church, they represent 100 future families. Even in, even in our church, 100 future families, which really immediately in the next 10 to 15 years will represent 500 people. They're all going to get, they're most probably all going to get married. And then they're going to start having kids. And so, so think about it. In the next 10 to 15 years, what we do today is going to affect, is going to affect that generation. All of your kids, all, and, and, and not even to go down to their grandkids and things like that, but think, think about that. So we're, we're supposed to influence future generations. Uh, you know, we give a lot of money to India, you know, and we're helping the Pastor Jose there. I mean, literally, we, we've given and raised about $350,000 in the last seven years, and, and they're very poor, and they're in Nepal and India. It's a half a percent Christian. They have, they have converted 35,000 people to the Christian faith since we've been helping them for seven years. So see, family life, family life, we're helping a future generation in India and in Nepal. But it's all about it's all about future generations. And uh, it, it's not just about us. You say, well, Terry, what about me? Well, Jesus died for you. And hopefully you have accepted him. But after you accept him, it's not just about you anymore. We're saved to serve. We're saved to promote and to build, build the kingdom of God. And, um, and one of my highlights today, I was saying I was a youth pastor at Family Life in Lafayette for about four, four and a half years. And one of my highlights today, we, we started with about Eight, seven or eight kids, and we ended up with about 150 kids from junior high through early college. And one of my highlights today, and again, this is 20 years later, one of my highlights is seeing so many of those that we've poured into for a number of years. Uh, now they're married, now they have kids, and now they're replicating what was put into them. And I tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing, no greater feeling than to see that your life 
has had an impact on the future, that your life has, has, has meant something. Number four is that one person can make a difference for God. You know, too often we fail to realize our importance to God. And here's the thought. Can any one person really make a difference? Can one person change the world? And if you want to think about it, Noah did, Abraham did, Esther did, Paul did, Nehemiah did. You know people that, that have. But history is full of people uh, who made a difference for the kingdom of God. And here's the thought, that God... <clears throat> He uses people to build his kingdom. And so each one of us can be an integral piece to what he is doing in our community and, and, and around the world. I, I remember, you know how when you're, I don't know, when I was growing up and I was always, I was always in church, my dad was a pastor, but then you meet some people that just mess with you a little bit. Do you, know, do you have any, who, who in here has someone in your life that messes with you? Some of you need to go do some work. I have teenagers raising their hand. My parent messes with me every day, every day. No, but you, what I mean by messes with you, you need somebody that, that you know, if, if this is your paradigm of life, you need someone to stretch it. And so <clears throat> my dad had this friend named Ernie Topher, and he lived in Kyle, Texas, a little bitty town way back then, and Ernie was the epitome of an evangelist everywhere he went. Kyle was a small, small town. He knew everyone in Kyle. Everyone knew in Kyle that Ernie Topher was on fire for the Lord. Everyone knew that he wanted them to get saved, and he always did this. So one day, we got a call. My dad got a call, and he, he got me real quick, and we jumped in the car and started heading to Kyle, and he said, he, someone called him and said that Ernie's house is burning down. So we went out there to see if we could do anything to help him or anything. And when we got there, <clears throat> the house was at ground zero. The house was done. The house was totally destroyed. And people, you know, everyone loved Ernie. And so people were out there. There were, I don't know, several hundred people around. And uh, I remember I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old, something like that. I mean, what do you what do? You do? And uh, so I was just kind of standing there observing things. And, and people were trying to console him and, uh, his, I remember his wife was over here crying, and um, Ernie's just kicking through the rubble. He's kicking through the rubble. I mean, everything is burned. And I'm telling you, it was supernatural. I don't know how this, well, I do know how this happened. But he's kicking through there, and he finds his Bible. And his Bible is just barely charred. Now, the whole house is collapsed. Everything is done. And the wife's over there like, oh, my baby pictures are done. And, oh, this, you know, it's done. And he picked up his Bible and he picked it up. He's got everyone's attention. He said, I've been telling you people that the word of God is indestructible. I've been telling you this. I'm telling you, y'all need to repent. You know, some of you may go to hell. I don't know. But look, this is, look at my house. This is what hell's going to look like, you know. And anyway, and I'm telling you, in about 30 seconds, his whole life in Kyle of talking to all these people came full circle when they saw his house get destroyed and all he was focused on, but, but God's word is still true. God's word is indestructible. And um, so we can make a difference. We can make a difference uh, for God. So think about this. Every time, every time you serve in church, every time you go out there at work in your job and live with integrity and, and, and have a servant's heart and, and you exhibit the character that God wants us to live in, 
See, you're making a difference for God because all of us represent him. We are all representatives of God, whether we want to or not. And the last thing is this, is that one person can make a difference at any age. And, you know, humans, we have the tendency to put age restrictions on what you can or can't do. Do you get that? I mean, you can't do certain things until you're so old, and, and after you're a certain age, you can't do anything else. And if you read the Bible, uh, age is not that important to God. It's the desire of our heart to be used by Him. And so the thing is, Noah built the ark, ark from 500 to 600. And I'm sure if he had his way, he'd have rather started at about 100, you know? I'm just, just thinking there. But from 500 to 600. It, did any of you see... Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago. <clears throat> anyway, I turned on the news one day, and there's a boy mowing the White House lawn. You see a boy named Frank. He had written a letter when he, he had a lawn service. He was 11 years old. And at 10, he had wrote the White House that he wanted to mow the White House lawn. And so they brought him in there. They brought him in there. And he's got gloves on, you know. And Have you seen? You can Google that, too. He's mowing the lawn. You know, he's mowing the lawn, and and he's into it, man. He's into it. And President Trump comes around to shake his hand, and President Trump goes like this, and the boy's just mowing the lawn, just walks right by him, you know? Which, that told me I think he was there to see Melania. I don't, you know, I don't know. You say, well, you say, well hey, man, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd want to meet him, but how many 11-year-old boys get to mow the White House lawn? How many 11-year-old boys get to go in the Oval Office? I mean, I don't care who's president. I, I'll take a tour of the White House, you know? I bet they got some good food in there, you know? I'll hang out for a little bit. But, uh, you know, just, but just think of this. Last week, we had our student ministry that we're out here in the community helping a single mother move. move and, and uh, you know, that, see, that, that's making a difference at your age. And I want to tell all of our seniors here today that, that uh, you know, when we get older, the world says you're washed up, you're done. Listen, as we get to older areas of life, what that means is we have valuable life experience that we can give to other people. You know, in church, we, we need grandparents. All of us here probably have great admiration and memories of our grandparents. Because <clears throat> our grandparents knew things we didn't know. And they all, you know, no matter what situation, they had something to say. We need grandparents in the church. But we also need young people who are willing, who are willing uh, you know, to do things. Now, as, as Noah's about to leave, he's about to run off. Our time with Noah's done. And I think there's three things he would say to us. The, the worship team can come on up and as we get ready to close. There's three things I think Noah would say to us. And I think the first thing he'd say is this, is that, number one, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. And, and uh, you know, I think he would say, when I was trying to live a righteous life, a life of purity before God, no one encouraged me to follow God. People were mocking me. They were laughing at me. But I, you know, I chose to stand up in the crowd, and when you do that, God will reward you. Number two, I think Noah would say, don't be afraid to do something for the first time. I mean, he was building a boat, a massive boat, and he wasn't by a sea, and he wasn't going to be, it wasn't by a river. There was no water to float that boat, and it had never rained before. And I think Noah would tell us this, uh, don't let the words, it's never been done, confine you. And see, when God tells us to do something, God is out there ahead of what's going on, you know. Don't be afraid 
to do something for the first time. And then I think the last thing I say is this. When you see a rainbow, remember that one person, uh, you know, can make a difference. And, and, and I, I believe Noah would say this, you know, I didn't see the rainbow until I got off the ark. I built the ark. I went through the flood. And it wasn't until I, we got off the boat that I saw the rainbow. God made his covenant with me. And, and for us this morning, you have to understand this. Many times, the fruit of living a righteous life and being obedient to God we don't see the fruit until later on after we walk through it. See, the devil and the world is always wanting us to hide the fruit in our lives. And many times when you're in things, you don't see immediate results. But one day you're going to walk off that boat and you're going to see the reward, uh, you know, for, for living the life that you live. Would you stand for me, with me today? So one, one person can make a difference. And, you know, maybe you're here this morning and it, you're, ju you're just seeing that there's a lot of room in your life that you can tighten things up, that you can improve to make a difference in your family, to make a difference in the next generation, to make a difference for God. And I just want to pray for you this morning. God, we come before you today, and Lord, we realize from the life of Noah that one person can make a difference, which means that my life can make a difference. It means that every man and woman in this auditorium this morning, their life can be a life of significance. God, their life can be a life that makes a difference in their family, in their community, Lord, in every area of their life. If you realize this morning that you have a ways to go and you just, you just want to ask God strengthening your life, would you just raise your hand? And we're going to ask God to help us be difference makers. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we want to be difference makers. God, which means we have to live differently than, than everyone around us. God, we, can't, we, we have to take the, the tough route sometimes. God, we can't just do whatever we want. We have to really pursue you, God. We have to run the race to you. God, I pray... That, that just as we talked about today, that Noah would encourage us, God. He would encourage us that our life can be a life of significance. Our life can make an impact if we choose to live with righteousness, if we choose to be obedient to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm going to have the band send us off with a song here, but before we do, Guys, if you could help us pick up all these chairs in here and stack the faith, that would be great. And I always like to close with a prayer of blessing for you. How many of you would like a blessing this morning? God, we come before you today, and Lord, your word is very clear. Your word in Ephesians tells us that we have an inheritance through Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, by how he lived, he, he gave us an inheritance, God, that inheritance means that we can be blessed everywhere we go, God. Your word says we can be blessed in the city or in the field, God. That we can, you can rise us above and not live beneath, God. That your protection can be with us. So God, I pray right now for your people. God, I pray for physical protection. I pray for spiritual protection. God, I pray everything, everywhere we go and everything we do, God, that your hand would bless 
our efforts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, church. I talked to Mary yesterday. I'm going to go over there just a